Thanks for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. We pray that this message is both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith in Jesus. We are happy to provide this resource to you, but as you know, this alone cannot meet the need we all have for fellowship and corporate worship. So we hope you'll be able to join us this Sunday at 10 a.m. Or if you're not in the area, give us a call and we'll do our best to help you find a good church to visit. For now, here is this week's message. I couldn't think of a... uh... If I had to pick a song, I couldn't have fit, picked a better one to go into this message this morning. So thank you, Scott, for hearing the Lord. I figure before I preach, I, I, I want to say a couple of things. Um, first of all, I'm Alan. If we haven't met, I'm sorry. I haven't met everybody in here yet, but um, I get a, a great opportunity and maybe even a fearful opportunity from time to time to stand up here and to bring the Word of God. Uh, this particular message this morning, Brian sent me the text that he wanted me to preach from, uh, probably about four, five, six weeks ago. And when I read through the text, I, I started, um, to be honest with you, I started crying. And, and this thought hit me, I don't really know that I fully believe everything in this. I struggle with some of these areas in my own life. Maybe I shouldn't be the person to preach this. I didn't say that to Brian, but that was where I was in my heart. But I had said to him before, just tell me what, you know, whatever you're preaching, whatever, wherever we are in the series, just tell me what you want me to preach, I'll preach it. And so that began for me quite a journey of digging in. And it's not that I don't intellectually believe these things, but in my own faith, in my own walk with the Lord, I struggle. Like you probably do. And sometimes we encounter things in Scripture where if we're honest, we say, I don't know that I've seen God work like that in my life. Yeah, I read that there in the text, but I don't see that God does that necessarily for me. Have you ever been there? Yeah. So I want to pray before I preach because one of the beautiful things is I don't think this is about me. I think it's what God wants to do in his word in the hearts of his people. God, we come before you with hands lifted in surrender. God, we want to lay ourselves down as we've just sung but God, we don't just want to sing it as words. We don't want to be people who are stuck in religion and tradition and old ways of thinking that don't actually lead to transformation. We want to be those who hear your word and are changed by it. And so God, as we encounter your word, would you come Holy Spirit and fill this place and move into us and cause us to surrender our our ways of thinking, our ways of living that are contrary to the beauty that you've called us to live into and to see in you. God, we know this will only happen if you move. And so we ask that you'd move. And we surrender our ways, we surrender our our thinking, and we with joy say, Lord, have your way in us. Amen. If you have your Bibles um, or your smartphone app, um, we're going to be in Psalm 116 this morning. And while you're going there to look it up, 
I want to tell you a little bit about my wife. So my son said to me this week, he goes, Dad, this, on the sermon this Sunday, you're not going to talk about us kids or about mom, right? You're going to leave us out of it. So I'm going to leave my son out of it, except for that bit that I just said. And, and I'm going to talk about his mom. And I got, I, I told, I, I was about to say that I got permission. I didn't, but I did let her know that this was coming. And uh, so I want to talk about my wife. I want to talk about uh, the fact that I love my wife. And I want to be just a little bit selfish and tell you about why I love my wife. Is that okay? Can we do that? Yeah, some of you ladies are smiling and some of you men might want to take some notes. All right, not about my wife, but about yours. Okay, just make sure we got that straight. All right, so I, I love Angela. I love her because she and I have always shared a mutual passion for Jesus and for serving God. From our youngest days of dating, we always were doing ministry together. We've always loved the Lord and served him together. I love her because she is a way better cook today than she was 26 years ago when we married. Um, when I first met my wife, and I remember the very vividly the first meal I ever had at her parents' house, and I love my mother-in-law, but she could not cook. And, um, and I remember the mashed potatoes that were gray from the lid of the pepper falling off and just filling the mashed potatoes that got served anyways. And I choked them down with... Um, you know, I just choked them down and I said, thank you. And I said, they're not that bad, but they were. And I remember thinking that moment, my wife is never going to be a great cook if this is how her mom cooks, but she surprised me. I love her for being such an amazing, amazing cook. She really is. I love her because together we have raised four amazing kids and she is an amazing mom. I love her because she is truly my best friend. I love her because we have never, in 28 years of knowing each other, have ever run out of things to talk about. I fall asleep now before the conversation's done, but there's still tomorrow and plenty more <laughs> to talk about. <laughs> we never run out of words. I love her because she's a passionate person who speaks her mind and who actively engages life about things that matter to her. I love her because in tough times, she didn't give up on me. I love her because she is a very forgiving and compassionate woman. I love her because we have spent over half of our lives dreaming together and working to make those dreams come true. I love her because, well, she is who God gave me. And I know for a fact that she is God's greatest gift he ever gave me. Now, if I just stood up here and told you I love my wife and didn't tell you why I love my wife, it wouldn't carry near as much punch, would it? The writer of the psalm we're going to look at this morning begins this psalm with what might seem like kind of an odd place to begin. He begins by saying, I love God because God did these things. And sometimes we have this sense that we should never declare our love and then connect that to because they did something for me. But love, if we're honest, does have a bit of a component to it that says, I receive something which fuels my love for this 
person. My love for my wife is fueled by not just what she does, but who she is. And my love for God is the same. The psalmist opens up by declaring his love for God and then details why he loves God. And he follows up at the end by saying, I love God not just because he did these things, but because of his love and the things he's done, I'm going to do these other things. And so this morning, uh, there's two, if we can go to that next slide. Okay, we'll have to pull that background off. Um, The psalmist really covers... It'll come back in a minute. Um, Two areas that I want us to focus on this morning. The first one is loving God and the fact that for the Christian, loving God is essential, especially in dark times. And living for God is vital as our response to loving God. So let's start out with this first one. Loving God is essential, especially in dark times. So let's go to that next slide. Woo! So it'll... Hopefully, I assume, I don't know who's running the slides, I assume there's more to that text on there too. Um, I want to read the the scripture here. This is Psalm 116. I'll be reading from verses 1 through 11, and I purposely left out all the verse numbers. The reason why is sometimes I think the numbers kind of cloud for us um, and separate things unnaturally. And the writer here uh, is writing, and this is a very from the gut kind of prayer. And because of that, it doesn't have a lot of linear this, then this, then this. In fact, it hops around just like you and my prayers do, if we're honest. You know, those conversations we have with God. And so I wanted to remove the numbers so we have a full sense of just, just this jumbled prayer of this heartfelt talking to God. And the writer says, I love the Lord because he hears my voice and my prayer for mercy. Because he bends down to listen I will pray as long as I have breath. Death wrapped its ropes around me. The terrors of the grave overtook me. I saw only trouble and sorrow. And then I called on the name of the Lord. Please, Lord, save me. How kind the Lord is. How good he is. So merciful, this God of ours. The Lord protects those of childlike faith. I was facing death and he saved me. Let my soul be at rest again for the Lord has been good to me. He has saved me from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. And so I walk in the Lord's presence as I live here on this earth. I believed in you. So I said, I am deeply troubled, Lord. In my anxiety, I cried out to you. These people are all liars. The writer sets the stage. He says, I love the Lord because he hears my voice and, he, and my cry or my prayers for mercy. I think the one thing, if there's only one thing that we can carry out from this is this. We have a God who hears us when we pray. Do you agree? Now, the flip side of that coin. Have you ever prayed? Have you prayed something for your whole life and didn't believe God ever heard you or ever answered that prayer? I've been there. What do you do with the challenge of sometimes I pray and God doesn't seem to answer the way I think he should answer? Well, I'll tell you what we don't do. We don't say, well, didn't answer my prayer the way I wanted you to or when I wanted you to, so I'm done. This doesn't work. (laughs) Though I think 
If we're not honest, sometimes we do that. God hears our prayers. He hears our cries for mercy. He knows what we need. And lest we think that we're alone in the struggle where we pray and God doesn't answer. Remember Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane before he goes to the cross cries out and says, God, if there's any other way, let this cup pass for me, but not my will, but your will be done. And then on the cross, what does he cry out? He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But the cross was necessary, even though it wasn't comfortable or easy or what he wanted in that moment in his, in his body, the cross was necessary for our salvation. Furthermore, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians cries out to God, and he says three times, I ask God to remove this thorn in the flesh. And God didn't. And he responds by saying that God responds to him by saying that my strength will be perfected in your weakness. And the psalmist here is dealing with a similar situation where he's crying out to God and it seems at first that God isn't listening. He says, death has wrapped its ropes around me. The terrors of the grave have overtaken me. I've only seen trouble and sorrow. And two times he mentions that I'm on the brink of death. He says, literally, it's like the grave, death has lassoed around my feet and is pulling me down. That's the imagery that the psalmist here gives us. He says, and, and while I'm at, at, the de at death's door, he says, I'm crying out to God. We don't know what's happened to him. We don't know if he has sickness, if somebody's attacked him and he's had physical harm and is going to die because of his injuries. We're not sure what the situation is. And I actually think it's kind of beautiful that we don't because, because we don't know exactly what his situation is. And as we look at the apostle Paul, we don't know what this thorn in the flesh that Paul asked God to deliver him from. We don't know what that is. We can kind of see our own selves in that, can't we? Suddenly, my situation is, is like the psalmist, is like, like Paul. And I've cried out to God. And God has heard every prayer. Loving God is essential, especially in dark times. And listen, loving God is essential, especially in dark times, because dark times are going to come. Dark times are going to come. There are going to be difficult days in your life. Whoever, I don't know why, but for whatever reason, whoever believes that because we follow Christ, God's going to give us good life, ease, lots of money. I've heard it preached. I don't understand where that theology comes from, but it's not from the Bible. Jesus tells his disciples in John 16, 33, he says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. You're like, really, Alan? This is the most bummer sermon ever. But this is one of the things I love about the word of God. It's real. It is straight up real. There's some great works of art, one of them being The Princess Bride. Have you seen that movie? Anybody? And probably one of the greatest lines in this great work of art is, is this one line. And I even asked my family, I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quote something from The Princess Bride. Can you, can you guess what it's going to be? And my wife knew exactly what the quote was. Do you know it? Maybe. Life is pain, highness. And anyone who tells you otherwise is selling you something. 
Life is pain, Highness, and anyone who tells you otherwise is selling you something. Well, here's the good news. The Bible is not selling you something. God is not trying to sell you something. God is very real, and he tells us very clearly that life is going to come with challenges. There are going to be dark days, but there's the good news. There's the light at the end of this tunnel is that we can love God, and loving him is essential, especially in dark times, because he is with us in the dark times. We're never alone. Never. Not once have you ever called on the name of the Lord and he did not hear you. The writer says how kind God is, how good he is. Our God is so merciful. He protects those of childlike faith. And he goes on to say, my soul can be at rest for the Lord has been good to me. He has saved me from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. And so I walk in the presence of God as I live here on this earth. And he says, I believe in you, God. But I guarantee you, when he was in the pit of despair, when he was like fearing for his life, he wasn't in those moments saying, God, I just know you're here and I'm so thankful for this struggle. That's the moment where he's like, God, help me. And God heard him. And the author, I want to read what what Paul writes here what, of what God told him. Second Corinthians, I said first Corinthians earlier, second Corinthians, he says, God said to me, my grace is sufficient you, for my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. There was a period of my life, a very dark period of my life, many years of it, where I feared that I was going to take my life. I gave my brother all my guns. I told him, I, I, I don't even feel safe with my own guns. I struggled to want to be married, to want to keep going as a dad. At that time, I was pastoring a church. I wanted it all to just go away. And I cried out to God, and it was like silence. And it, was, it felt like God wasn't even hearing me, wasn't responding. And, and one night, Angela and I were having a conversation late at night. And she said to me, she goes, I don't know what's wrong. But I just want my best friend back. Which was the most brilliant thing that she could have ever said in that moment. And it began, it set us on a journey to figure out how to, get things back to where they needed to be. Paul says about these moments, about these times, he says, I delight in weakness. I delight in hardship. I delight in difficulties. And I, and I, I, I honestly, I, I read that and I'm like, I don't delight in that at all. God, if there's any way, let this cup pass from me, live it to somebody else. 
I don't want this. But Isaiah 40, 29 tells us that God gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. And so as I walk on this earth with its struggles and its challenges, I can and should join with the psalmist in saying, I walk in the Lord's presence. And I believe in you, Lord. Even in the dark times. Christian, God sees you in your darkness. And he loves you. And he hears you when you pray. And he answers. He may not answer in the timing you want. He may not answer in the way that you want. But he hears you. And we can trust when the writer of Hebrews says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the same for you. He's with you. He'll, as he told his disciples in Matthew 28, I will be with you always to the end of the age. He's with you, even in that darkness. In Malachi 3.6, the Lord says, For I, the Lord, do not change. In James chapter 1, verse 17, we read, Every good thing is given, and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation, and there's no shifting shadow. In other words, God has given you every good thing, and he does not change. And so even those hard things may be, the good things that you can't see yet. And we can trust him. And we can trust that he's with us and he will deliver us. And I think it's fascinating. There's this one phrase in, in this passage of, uh, of Psalms 116 that to me was very frustrating to work through um, textually. The writer here says, uh, all men are liars. In most translations, that's how it comes out. That word liar is kind of interesting because the idea is in, in the original language is that, that all men are not trustworthy, cannot be relied upon. And we're not sure, there, could be, there are two ways to really take this. One, it's because of another person's um, sin that the writer here is dealing with this, his near-death experience. And so it could be that it's kind of like against them. It could also be that he's saying, God, I trust you and I recognize that nobody's really reliable. And then there's another option is that God has sent help and he's rejected the help and he says, I don't trust any of them. I'm just turning to you, Lord. We're not really sure what it is, but in, for me, I, I, to, as I study the text, I, I was most convinced that, that the idea here is that we may not, even when we cannot trust people, even when we feel like I, I can't rely on anybody, we can always rely on the Lord. We can love him, we can love him in the dark times because he's with us, he's reliable, he's unchanging, and he hears our prayers. In the second half of the psalm, the attention turns to not just declaring his love for God and what God has done for him, but saying as a response to God's answer in my prayer, he says, I'm going to live for the Lord. And living for God is our vital response to loving him. Reading verse 12 to the end of the chapter, he says, What can I offer the Lord for all he's done for me? Well, he says, I will lift up the cup of salvation and praise the Lord's name for saving me. I will keep my promises to the Lord in the presence of his people. The Lord who cares deeply when his loved ones die 
O Lord, I'm your servant. Yes, I am your servant, born into your household, and you have freed me from my chains. And I will offer you a sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord, and I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people and the house of the Lord in the heart of Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. Living for God, listen, church, listen. Living for God is our vital response to loving God. If we say that we love God, but we don't live in a way that honors God, it would be like me saying to my wife, I love you, and I'm not going to do anything to honor you. Where's my dinner, woman? Would that be love? No, I'd get something on my dinner, and it would probably be toxic. The same way, if we say that we love God, the natural response should be to then live for, for the Lord, right? In 1 John, we read this, Dear children, let us not just love with words and speech, but in actions and truth. Let us not just love in words and speech, but actions and truth. Church, do we do that? I love the people of God, but I don't want to talk to them on Sunday. I've been in churches that it seemed like that was the reality, right? Have you? The writer says, I love you, Lord, and I'm going to do the very things I've told you I would do. I'm going to commit to live my life for you. I love this. He says, I'm going to lift up the cup of salvation and praise the Lord's name. I, I think this is most fascinating because the, he asked this question. What, depending on what translation you have, uh, I think the NIV says, the writer says, what can I offer to the Lord for all that he's done for me? And he says, well, I can lift up the cup of salvation. This idea of I can... I can make my salvation in the Lord the thing that I celebrate and focus on. Well, well it doesn't seem like he's given God anything there, is it? Well, God, I'm going to bring up to you what you've already given to me. But then I go back to James, that every good and precious gift comes from the Father of lights. So everything good that I have that I can give to God is from where? It's from him. So, so what can I give God? I can give God what he's given me. Interesting, isn't it? I have nothing that I can bring but what he has given me to bring back to him as an act of love and surrender. In fact, he, he uses this interesting illustration, um, depending on what translation you have. He says that I was a servant, I, I was born a servant of your handmaid, or in other words, I was a servant born into your household. And yeah. He says, I'm your servant. Yes, I'm your servant, born into your household, and you have freed me from my chains. The, the image here, we don't live in the, this day and time when this was written, so we may not get this. But the idea is that this is a slave who was born into the household who actually has zero rights. He says, God, I have zero rights. I have zero freedom. And you have moved me from being that kind of slave, not to just being your servant, someone who has some freedom. He goes, but you have actually freed me from my chains. He says, the only way I could ever repay you, God, for this is to basically live my life in service to you. And he says, God, I'm, you've delivered me, and I'm going to live 
a surrendered life as a result. Not this sense of, ooh, God freed me, now I can go do whatever in the heck I want to do. And, I, and the beauty is that we see in God this very thing that he's called us to do and to be in, like him. In John three sixteen, you all know this, for God so loved the world that he gave of himself. And God says in the, the response that you should have, church, back to him and in regards to that is because God has so loved, you then are called to give your life back to him, the life he has given to you. And he says, the, the psalmist says, I'm going to keep my promises. I'm going to keep my vows. One uh, commentator wrote it this way. I like it. He says, I will not declare to God in the dark that which I will not keep in the light. In other words, the psalmist in those dark times has probably said, God, if you would just help me through this, I will fill in the blank. And he says, I'm going to remember that I did that. Have you ever prayed one of those prayers? God, if you would just rescue me from this, I will A, B, C, X, Y, Z, whatever. And then a week later, whoo, glad that's over. The psalmist says, it's not how we live. He says, I will keep my promises. And did you catch where he said he's going to keep his promises? He says, I'm going to fulfill my vows or keep my promises to the Lord. Where? In the presence of his people. Well, my faith is just between me and God. It is nobody's business. My faith isn't just between me and God. My faith is between me and God and the people of God. Your faith is not to just be lived out between you and God. It is to be lived out between you and God in relationship with other people who can see a testimony of God's goodness in your life. Is that a little scary? I'm just curious. When is the last time, and you don't have to raise your hand and answer it out loud, but rhetorical, I want you to wrestle through this. When is the last time you have declared what God has done in your life with another person? You know what God has done in my life? This and this. In Scripture, we see throughout this idea that our faith is not just this personal thought. It is, it is a relational transaction between God and us and God's people. In Ezra 3.11, we read, With praise and thanks, they sang this song to the Lord. He is good. His faithful love for Israel endures forever. And all the people gave a great shout, praising the Lord. When we gather together in this place and we sing songs of worship, it is, a, is part of that transaction. I sing to the Lord as a declaration of his goodness to me amongst the people of God. And that's part of it, right? And when I sit in a Sunday school class or I interact with somebody in my home and I say, this is where I'm working things out in my faith or this is what God has done for me. I love, this is one of the things I do love about Pastor Brian. He stands up here and he tells you, tells us, of what God has done in his life, the transformation God has done. And that's one of the things, when I first came, I'm like, wow, this guy's real. Like, he's really real. So that we don't have to walk in here on Sunday morning on our Sunday best and plaster on our smiles and fake like everything's great when it's not. And we can say, you know what, I've struggled too, or I am struggling too. 
And God, I need his help. Or God has been good to me. And we can walk this faith out with one another because we've seen it demonstrated here in a way that brings God praise and it brings help and joy to the people of God. And we see this in Mark 16. Jesus says to his disciples, you're to go into all the world and proclaim the good news. So it's not just what we sing, it's what we live day to day at our workplaces, in our neighborhood, on the HOA board. Um, wherever, yeah, I've served on a couple of those. This is why I don't live in an HOA anymore. Um, but we are called to make our lives be a declaration of God's work and transformation in us everywhere, even in the boardroom. Even with our neighbor whose dog poops in our yard. Everywhere. A testimony to God's work in us. I hope I'm not stepping on, no, I hope I'm stepping on some toes. It should come out not just in our neighborhoods and our workplaces. It should come out in our home and how we interact with our kids or our spouses. God is answering our prayers, and as a result, we should be living our lives as a testimony to his goodness and proclaiming what he's done. When I look back over my life, and I look back to prayers I pray that I didn't think God was answering, when I look back to wanting to just give up on everything, I know that God rescued me. I know he saved me. I know he gave me a woman who was on her knees early in the morning, ridiculously early, weeping and praying for me. And I know God has answered. And I can't stand here and say God has answered every prayer I've ever prayed when I wanted him to answer it and the way I wanted him to answer it. But I can see that he has answered. And I may not be able to see, Paul says we see through the glass dimly. It's like our vision of what is real in this world is clouded by our humanity and this world. And one day we'll see, through, we'll see it clearly. And I imagine that one day when we look back over our lives, all of those unanswered prayers or those prayers that were answered the way we thought they should be, we're going to go, oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you for how you brought me through or brought me to that hard thing so that you could do this work in me. And I'll praise him for all eternity. God has rescued me. He has helped me. He has brought me from very dark times. And I cannot comprehend everything he has done. But I love him. And he has saved me. And I can lift up the cup of salvation. I can say, God delivered me from my sin, brought me into eternal life. And I can say God has brought me from very hard and negative and terrible ways of thinking into ways of thinking that have brought me joy and happiness and satisfaction. There's a phrase I want, I, I want to, can we put that, there we go, this phrase up here, there we go. I've seen God in my life because he Fill in the blank. And for that, I'm thankful. I had, I had a couple thoughts on what to do with this. One thought I had this morning, was, or this week, was that I wanted to invite us to be able to stand up in this place and to individually declare some of this. And I, I wrestled around with that a little bit. 
So how, how fearful would that be? And nobody stands. And then my next thought was, well, maybe I'll give you some homework to do this week. To find three people to, to, to share with them how you've seen God work in your life and declare that you're thankful to him for that. And then I got to thinking about how many sermons I've listened to and walked out of the church and had lunch and forgot everything that Brian has said. Been there? Oh, just me? Okay. That was a Brian. Did you catch that? It was a Brianism. Just me? He's not here. We can pick on him just a little. So I decided I'm going with the in-between. And this is going to require you, I'm just going to warn you right now, it's going to require you to do something you aren't used to doing during a sermon. You're going to have to get up out of your seat. I'm prepping you. And I want you to find somebody in this room that you don't know. You can start looking around. Go ahead, start looking around at people you don't know. There's got to be people in this room you don't know. Now, I realize this is risky, and this is why I'm like, I love not being the pastor and preaching because I can do whatever I want, and you can't fire me. <laughs> and I love you, and, and I hope you love me. But I would like for you to get up out. So, can we all just stand up right now? We got time. And I would like for you to scan the audience and find somebody that you don't know and go up to them and share with them Something that you've seen God do in your life, it doesn't have to be big or grand. It could just be that he saved me from my sin. And I want you to say, and, and use this as your prompt. I've seen God in my life because he, say it, and for that I'm thankful. And then the other person, look back to them and say the same thing, but what he's done for you. All right, so are you ready? All right, move. Go. <laughs> All right, so I think some of you are making lunch plans. So to all of the introverts in the room, I'm gonna ask you to, to, the extroverts are never coming back to their seats. Yeah, the extroverts are never going back to their seats. Might have turned me up a little bit. All right, for all the extroverts, 
I'm gonna ask you to put a pause on your lunch plans. Okay, you can bring me back down a little bit. All right, to the extroverts, thank you. Um, to the introverts, I'm sorry, but I'm not. Um, because we're called to do this church, right? We are called to be a people who, can, can, who are praying to God, loving God because of how he's answering our prayers, and then to declare that as we live out a life full of gratitude and thanksgiving. Um, I want to close with just two, two things. First of all, um, for those of you who know God, I would love to challenge you, encourage you, beg you even to make this a daily part of your life, a proclaiming what God has done for you wherever you are, living your life as a proclamation of how good our God is. And if you need help doing that, we'll just use that little prompt. Um, you know, I've seen God in my life because he blank, and for that I'm thankful. To those of you who don't know him, I can honestly say that apart from Christ, I wouldn't be alive today. I believe that Christ is the best thing you could ever accept. Receiving Jesus' love is the greatest gift you can ever receive in your life. I believe that, not just for eternal life, but for life here on this earth as we walk with the Lord. And I invite you to step into that beautiful journey of life with the Lord. And if you've never done that and you want somebody to pray with you and talk with you about that, Pastor Josh, um, Scott, Pastor Brian, wherever Scott's over here, Pastor Brian or myself or a number of other people in this room would love to talk with you on, and, and help you through that. I want to pray and then we'll hand it back over to the worship team.